Morning, everybody. Welcome back for week three of Better Together. This journey we're taking together as a church to explore what it means to live in authentic community. To actually live out our faith in and through our connections with each other. And here at Cedar Creek Church, where we connect with each other is in our home groups. And so in this series, we've been exploring what home groups are all about, why they're important. That's what we spent the last two weeks doing, the what and the why of home group, what a home group is, what it's supposed to do, and then why it's critical that you're connected to a small group of people. But today, we're turning a corner in this series. We're, we're kind of moving in a different direction. We're going from the what and the why to now talk about the how. How do you actually live out your faith in and through a home group? Now, if you've been a part of Cedar Creek or just been around here for any length of time, you've probably figured out we are a purpose-driven church. What does that mean? That means that the five purposes of the New Testament church are at the core of everything we do. Now, you need to understand, we didn't come up with these five purposes ourselves. We didn't read them in some church growth book. We got these purposes from two of the most important statements that Jesus ever made. The Great Commission and the Great Commandment. The Great Commission are those parting words that Jesus gave us when he left this earth to return to heaven, when he commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all of the things that you taught me. That's our commission. That's our mission. And then that famous statement of Jesus, the great commandment. When asked what's the most important commandment in all of Scripture, Jesus answered, remember, two, love and love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it or equal to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, let me tell you something. If you dissect these two statements... You'll see what Jesus is basically saying to us as followers, to the New Testament church, that we are to reach out to non-believers, to connect in loving, authentic relationships, to help all of us grow in our faith as we serve each other and honor God with our lives. Reach, connect, grow, serve, honor. You've heard those words before, I would imagine. Those are the vision words, the vision of our church, because they're at the heart of what Jesus called the church to do. So now, over these next couple of weeks, as we're rounding the second half of this series, I want to focus on these key purposes of all of our lives but I want to talk specifically how we live out these purposes in and through our home group. So today we're just going to start with this first purpose, this purpose of reaching, of reaching out to people who are far from God and sharing the hope of the gospel with the lost, with the broken, and the hurting people all around us. 
And while we're all called to do this individually as Jesus followers, we do this best when we do it together. Not my words, God's word. Look at what Paul writes in Philippians 1.27. He says, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. You understand what Paul's saying? Paul's not only saying that the good news, the gospel is at the heart of our faith, but he's saying we share that good news better together. And the Bible not only tells us that, it gives us a great picture of what it looks like when we do that. In three of the four gospel versions, there is a story, an encounter that Jesus has with a man who is paralyzed. And the only way this guy has an encounter with Jesus is he has a couple of friends who are willing to reach out to him and get him to Jesus. Because see, when Jesus came to his town that day, Jesus didn't walk past this paralyzed man so the man could cry out for help. Jesus showed up at a house And these friends heard about Jesus being there, knew Jesus could help their friend, and so they picked up their friend, Matt and all, like a stretcher, and they carried him to Jesus. The problem was everybody else wanted to be close to Jesus, and the house he was in was packed to the rafters. They were spilling out onto the porch, into the yard, into the courtyard, and there was no way they could get their friend to Jesus. Now, one person might be able to wiggle their way through that crowd. You know, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me. But no way four guys and a paralyzed guy's on a stretcher going to get through this crowd. But the guys don't give up. In an ingenious, bold plan, they climb onto the roof of this house, a house that's not theirs. They figure out about where Jesus is below them, and they either cut or dig an opening, and they literally lower their friend down on his stretcher to right in front of Jesus. Jesus is so amazed by the faith of this guy's friends that he looks at the man and says, Friend, brother, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, lost their mind. They're like, who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sins. This guy can't be forgiven sins. Jesus responds and says, okay, which one would be easier? To just say your sins are forgiven or to say to this guy, get up and walk. So that you will know that I am the son of the man. Son of man. He looks at this guy and says, get up and walk. The dude stands up rolls up his mat and walks out of that house. Mic drop moment for Jesus, right? Boom! Jesus won, Pharisees zero. It's an amazing story, right? But here's what I want you to notice. The the heart of this story is not how cool the healing is. The heart of the story is that this guy had friends who reached out to get him to Jesus As far as I know, there's no other healing recorded in the Gospels where a group of people are required to get someone to Jesus. But that's exactly what's going on here. So here's what I want to do. I want to walk through that story a little bit. And I want to look at some of the things that the Apostle Paul wrote to the early church to help us figure out how we can reach out in home group. And the reason I want to look at what Paul wrote is because Paul's one of the greatest reachers of all time. He is the ultimate evangelist. 
Right? He's bigger than Billy Graham. He reached more people with the gospel than anybody probably on planet earth other than Jesus. And yet Paul understood the critical nature of partnering, of working together to reach people with the good news of the gospel. So what do we learn about doing that better together? Five things. You ready? Number one, to reach out in home group, you got to be intentional. You got to be intentional. Reaching out to others requires intentionality, right? I mean, these guys didn't just accidentally stumble into Jesus when they were taking their friend through town. They had a plan. And even when that plan didn't seem to work, they had another plan. They they thought this through. You got to be intentional. They were intentional. We have to be intentional as well. Look at what Paul writes, Colossians 4, 5. He says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, non-believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Now, I want you to circle the word wise, and I want you to circle the phrase, make the most. Do you see the intentionality behind that? Think about it. Work through it. Come up with a plan. Here's why intentionality is so important to reach out. Because reaching out does not come natural to us. We are not naturally outwardly focused. We are all naturally inwardly focused, right? What's in it for me? What can I get out of it? How is this going to work for me? Well, that's not only true for us individually. That is true for us collectively as a church. That's why, did you know that over 80% of churches in America today are either plateaued or declining in attendance? And did you know that almost all of those churches that are plateaued and declining are over 25 years old? You know why that's true? Because when you're first starting out as a church, you have to be outwardly focused. You better reach people or you're not going to have a church. You're just going to have a few people saying they have a church. You have to be outwardly focused. But there's some point in which you reach enough people and you grow the church big enough where you can pay the bills and you can manage your programs and you go, okay, we got what we need. We're good to go. This works for us. And yes, some people may leave and move. New people will move in that are already Christians. And you lose your intentionality of being outwardly focused. Well, let me tell you something. Same thing happens in our home groups, right? We grow and we get them to the people we like, the size we like. And it's a great place to really connect. A great place to have your needs met. And it's easy to say, all right, we're good to go. We got a good group. Let's hunker down. Let's circle the wagons. But can I just tell you in love, Jesus did not suffer and die on a cross so we could gather in holy huddles and have it our way like Burger King. Jesus died so lost, broken, and hurting people could hear the good news of the gospel, be saved, be transformed, and have the love and support that we enjoy in being a part of God's family. That will not come natural. We got to be intentional. We got to be talking about this as individuals, as a church. We got to start talking about this in our home groups with one another. We used to do this years ago. I don't know if anybody's doing it anymore. But we used to, every time we had a home group meeting, when we would circle up the chairs for Bible study or prayer, we would always leave one empty chair in that circle as a visible reminder that somebody needs what God has blessed us with. 
To outreach to people, you got to be outwardly focused. Number two, the second thing we got to do is we have to leverage the power of prayer. We have to leverage the power of prayer. Listen, while it's important that we're intentional about reaching out, reaching out is not the result of our wisdom or our work. It's always about God's power and His Spirit moving in people's lives. Prayer is at the heart of outreach. It has to be. Because prayer is the way we align ourselves with what God is doing and where God is already working. Look, these four guys obviously were used by God to change their friend's life. But make no mistake about it. It was Jesus' presence and Jesus' power that transformed this guy's life. That's why Paul, this great outreach guy, writes these words in Colossians 4. He says, continue praying, church. Keep alert and always thanking God. And then look at what he says. Pray also for us that God will give us an opportunity to tell people his message. See, we need to be praying and say, God, open my eyes to who in my world, my work, my neighborhood, my family, who needs Jesus? Who needs the hope of the gospel? Who needs freedom from the bondage of sin? Open my eyes, and then you need to ask others. Ask people in your group to pray for that name or that person that God puts on your heart. We're better together, especially when we pray together for each other. If you're going to live out this purpose that God created you for to reach out, then you have to be intentional, you have to be prayerful. And number three, this is huge, you got to let love be your motivation. you got to let love be your motivation. It's not just what you do, it's why you're really doing it. Because here's what I've seen. In my life, in the life of churches, that outreach, reaching out to others, can become a point of pride. It stops being about our love for lost and hurting people, and it starts becoming about how big we can make our church. How many people we baptize, how many groups we multiplied, it becomes all about us. It becomes a numbers game. And when it becomes a numbers game for the sake of numbers, you will start seeing lost people as targets rather than hurting people who need Jesus. You'll start thinking about how many notches you can put on your soul winning belt so that Jesus will love you and be proud of you more than anybody else. And let me tell you something. If you have that attitude, even a hint of that attitude, Lost people can smell it a mile away. They can sense that insincerity. They can sense you're going through some sort of religious activity to tell them about Jesus instead of a deep, passionate care for them. Why do you think these guys got their friend to Jesus? You think they did all this so that Jesus would look up and go, wow, you are some of my greatest followers. I'm so proud of you four guys. No, they got this guy to Jesus because they loved him and they watched day in and day out the struggle he had being paralyzed. They knew firsthand the pain and they knew Jesus could help and out of love they reached out to get him to Jesus. 
Paul understood this. In 1 Thessalonians, he's writing a letter to a church where he led most of the people in that church to Jesus. And look at what he says. It says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. You see what Paul's saying? He said, love motivated us to share the gospel with you, but it wasn't just about sharing some story of salvation. It was about doing life with you, loving you, connecting with you, caring for you. And let me just tell you, in my experience as a pastor, the most effective way to reach out to people who are far from God is through a relationship with those people. To take the time, invest the energy to truly connect and care about them. That's why at Cedar Creek Church, you won't find us walking around in neighborhoods, knocking on the doors of strangers, asking them, can we tell you about Jesus? That's why you won't find us in the parking lot of Walmart handing out tracts to strangers. Now listen, I'm not being critical of churches or individuals who do that. I'm not saying God can't work through that method of outreach. I'm just telling you the most effective way biblically is to connect relationally with lost people. And the problem is, once we've been a part of a church, when we've been Christ followers and connected with the church, within seven years, we lose almost all of our relationships with unchurched, unsaved people. That's why I started with you got to be intentional. Listen, sharing the gospel in mass to strangers, that may lead to a large number of people praying the sinner's prayer and getting baptized. But making disciples, which is what Jesus commanded us to do, making disciples requires relationally connecting, loving and caring about the people. You want to know how you can know if you're motivated by love when you reach out? Here's how. If they never accept Christ, will you still be their friend? Will you still care about them Love motivated God to reach out to us. Then love must be what motivates us to reach out to others. And that leads to number four because it goes along with this. You have to offer acceptance. Offer acceptance. You got to be willing to accept people where they are. And we're not very good at that. We have a tendency to focus on how far people have to go instead of noticing how far they've already come. And we not only do that with the lost people around us, we do this with our kids. We do this with our spouses. But you know what the Bible says? That in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in the filth of our own poor choices, our own self-centeredness, while we were wallowing in the pigsty of our sin and failures, Christ didn't say, clean it up and I'll die for you. He didn't say, get your act together and I'll die for you. He died for us while we were still in our sin. He loved us in our sin. Don't you think we should love and accept people while they're still overwhelmed by their sin 
Jesus did, right? They dropped this paralyzed guy down in front of him. Jesus didn't say, well, now, before I help you, friend, let me ask you, have you been doing your physical therapy? Have you been working on this? Have you been following what the doctor said? Are you eating a good diet? In other words, are you doing all the things you can do? Because, you know, I only help people who help themselves. No. Jesus didn't say anything other than your sins are forgiven. Get up and rise and walk. Paul thought this is the way we ought to do it. Because notice in Colossians 4, 6, he's telling the church how to interact with non-believers. People are still wrestling every day with their sin. He said, let your conversation be gracious and attractive. He doesn't say beat them over the head. He doesn't say give them what for. He says be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. In other words, just be nice to people and pray that God would open a door for you to share Christ with him. That's why here at Cedar Creek we have two simple outreach principles. Number one, we invite people to join us, and we're nice to them when they get here, right? We invite people to come to a Sunday morning service. We don't meet them at the door and go, you know, you could dress a little better. You might ought to cover up those tattoos, you know. You might better get a haircut. You might better get out of that lifestyle. You might better look and act and believe a lot like we do before you can come in here. No, we just invite people, and we're nice to them and get them to Jesus. Let him do the work. The same thing should be true in our home groups. We invite people to connect and be a part of our home group family. Just be nice to them. Don't be rude. Don't be ugly. Our second principle, and this is a big one. You need to hear this. We don't expect non-believers to act like believers until they become believers. We don't, we don't expect somebody who's lived their whole life apart from God's word, never read it, don't understand it, to come in and in one week all of a sudden start believing and building their life on everything in here. We don't expect non-believers to act like believers. You know why? They can't. They don't have the Holy Spirit in them. And without the Holy Spirit, they don't have the strength. They don't have the conviction. They don't have the tools they need to change their life. If they could have changed their life on their own, they would have already done it. That's why Paul says clearly in 1 Corinthians, as a church, it's not our job to judge outsiders. It is our job to love them to Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that we condone sin. That, that doesn't mean that we're okay with sin. It just means that accountability occurs inside the family, not outside the family. You know, the reason I think we as church people have a tendency to come off as so judgmental to people outside the church is because of our fear. We're afraid if we don't raise just rage against the sin in the culture. We're afraid that if we don't take to the streets with our bullhorns and our repent signs, that somehow people will get the idea that we're okay with the sin in this world. Well, let me set the record straight. We are not okay with sin at Cedar Creek Church. We are not okay with it because we are brokenhearted over what sin is doing to the lives of people around us. It breaks our heart to see people in bondage from their sin and without Jesus and without his spirit's power to be free from that sin. Do you really think the people trapped in the bondage of sin need us to tell them that sin is bad? 
No, they live with it. They wake up with it every morning in shame and guilt and wish and hope and dream that there was some way they could be free. Jesus is the way they could be free. Our job is to love them where they are and introduce them to Jesus, the one who changes everything. We got to be accepted. I know it's hard. I look at what's going on in the lives of people in our community. And I look at what our nation and the media and the world say. Not only is it okay, it's good. And if you don't believe that this is good, you're bad. I understand and I get as mad as you do. But I don't take my anger out on the lost people who are trapped by all of that bull. You know what? I take it to prayer in Jesus and beg him to lead me to connect and show them what Jesus is truly all about. Acceptance. Stop putting people down. Stop posting against everything on Facebook. Use Facebook to make much of Jesus. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. Our job is to catch them. His job is to clean them. Number five, the fifth thing we got to do to be reaching out together. We've got to step out in faith. We've got to step out in faith. What does that mean? That means when, when you reach out to share Jesus with someone, expect God to move. You know why that's important? Because there is a connection between our faith and God moving. I see this throughout Scripture. Our faith causes God to move in unbelievable ways. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you can use your faith and leverage it to turn God into your genie in the bottle. I'm not talking about some kind of prosperity, gospel, or doctrine. I'm just saying when we step out in faith, for some reason it causes God to move. You know why I say that? Because almost every time Jesus healed somebody, do you know what he said to them? Your faith has healed you. According to your faith, it's been done to you. I don't understand it, but it's clear our faith, for some reason, causes God to move. Not only in our lives, but guess what? He'll do that in the lives of those we are reaching out to. You know why Jesus healed this paralyzed guy? Not because of his faith, but because of the faith of his friends. Look at Mark 2, 5. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. One of the greatest preachers of the 19th century was a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon. He was the Billy Graham of his day. He pastored one of the largest churches in London. And he filled up 10,000 people a week showed up at his church. And when he preached, God moved. People got saved. People's lives got changed. It was remarkable. One day a young pastor came up and said, Pastor Spurgeon, I don't understand it. When you speak, people move. When I speak, nobody moves. And Spurgeon said, well, surely, son, you don't expect God to move every time you speak. And he said, oh, no, no, sir. Spurgeon said, then that, son, is your problem. If you are not expecting God to move, you will not see God move. So let me just ask you, do you? When you invite somebody to come to church, to your campus on Sunday morning, do you believe 
that God will move and they will come, and that if they come, God could get a hold of their life? When you share the story of what Jesus has done in your life, do you expect God to use that story? Are you confident in it, not because it's your story, but because of God's faithfulness? If we are not willing to believe, to expect God to move, then why in the world would we think he would move? Look, look I know this is scary stuff. Reaching out, inviting people that don't go to church, sharing your story, having conversations about Jesus with somebody at work, somebody at your family, maybe that's even skeptical and hostile towards I get it. This is scary stuff. You might be rejected. They might ask you theological questions that you can't answer. I understand this is a fearful thing, but I also know this. Our fears are always opportunities to step out in faith. Our fears are opportunities to step out in faith. So let me ask you, what are you believing and what are you willing to do to be part of reaching out to the hurting and broken all around us. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for reminding me through your word, through this encounter with Jesus, with the paralyzed man, of how important it is for us to partner together, to reach out, to be a part of your kingdom's business. And your kingdom's business is always about hurting people. So God, I, I ask for your, con, your forgiveness. I confess right now that at times I've been inwardly focused. That at times I've lost sight of who's around me outside of the church family. So God, I'm praying that you would break my heart for the things that break yours. That you would open my eyes and open the eyes of all of us as a church to break out of our holy huddles to become more outwardly focused, lost people loving, in faith believing people on a mission to reach the hurting in our community with the good news of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.